Welcome to Edification. Enjoy and be blessed by this word tonight. Stay tuned. Shalom.
Welcome to Vatification Tuesday, and it is my prayer that tonight the Lord will speak to you and touch your life and impact your life as well. Tonight is wonderful, and I believe that God has been good to us. We're in the month of September, and September is a very great month, very, very important month, and we bless God for all that he does. For us and so everybody who has been able to tune in at this time I want to welcome you and I want to say that you are at the right place and God will meet you at the point of your need and so before we start anything let's share a word of prayer father thank you for life thank you thank you for the many things that you overlook Thank you for help. Thank you for strength. Thank you for protection. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sake. Thank you that through the death of your son and his resurrection, we have been reconciled to you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you that the Holy Spirit shows us all things. Thank you that the Holy Spirit comforts us. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us. Thank you for that work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word, which is able to build an inheritance among the saints. Tonight, we ask that, Lord, let your spirit come upon us mightily. Open our eyes, open our hearts, and may we be blessed in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And so tonight, as most of you have seen on the flyer that was being projected from yesterday, we're dealing with the topic, my first love. And my first love is a very important topic that the Lord has directed and laid on our hearts for us to do. And so, without wasting my time, we're going to go into the Word of God, and we're going to learn from the Word of God, both you and I as well. And so, our scripture for tonight, my first love, is taken from Revelation, the chapter 2, and from verse 1 to verse 7. Most of the time, we say the book of Revelations. It's not plural. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. So the chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 7. And so I want to read from the NIV version where it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. The Lord bless his word. So, this message was a direct message to the church in Ephesus. Hallelujah. From where we derive the book um, Ephesians, right? Now, the town was Ephesus. Amen. This is a very important topic that we mostly, you know, you don't really hear people preaching about and talking about it. But it's a very important thing. And I want to introduce this topic with this statement that or with this question sorry have you ever been in love before have you ever been in love you remember that some of you might have are still in love actually 
or some of you might have exited a relationship and you're not in love anymore and probably you are hurting or you have a broken heart or you have you have promised yourself that you are not entering into any relationship again but have you ever been in love that's my question to you as i introduce the topic have you ever been in love and remember those fizzy days where when you are in love nothing else matters or really matters you know um, because all you are thinking is when you see your sweetheart next praise god i'm sure somebody's smiling listening and where spending time with him or her was the most important thing in your life you know and sometimes sometimes you rush through chores to finish quickly so that you can call the person you know uh, maybe you have to wash some dishes or you have to do some laundry or you have to scrub the floors the tiles or something else you know because you are quick you want to talk to this person this most important person in your life and so you make sure that if you're washing dishes you wash it perfectly if you're scrubbing you scrub perfectly so that nobody come and worry you because you want to have time for this particular person now my next question is did you marry your first sweetheart or your first love did you did you marry your first sweetheart now even if you did not some may have i know some people who fell in love with the very first time and they ended up marrying that person as well so that is that right praise god but my question is did you marry your first sweetheart if not no problem so even if you waited for the second person or the third person there was still a time of first love wasn't there great so we are on the same plane level all right so we can move and then you got married or you are planning to get married so let's say that you've gotten married to your current sweetheart and then you realize that real life kicks in now i'm speaking to the greater percentage of people who this thing they can relate with so if you don't relate to it don't worry but you get to understand the message by all means praise god so you marry this second person or the third person you have a relationship with or probably marry the first person you ever fell in love with that's fine but then real life started to kick in and for too many people those emotional highs that made their early days together so meaningful it begins to die away it begins to wither instead of growing deep roots and becoming a new and a different kind of plant it does not instead of it bearing rich and and nourishing fruits you know it does not it doesn't and you realize that one morning one morning you wake up and you realize that you are only going through the motions what do i mean by you are going through the motions you wake up you greet your husband or your wife you bath you eat you tell each other you're going to work have a great day you come back and it goes on and one year of marriage it goes on two years of marriage it goes on three years of marriage and so on and so forth so you realize that although in the days of relationship or dating or courtship however you want to put it there was early highs of emotions and feelings and 
and emotional highs, you know, and you cannot wait to see the person, you cannot wait to talk to the person, and so on and so forth. But now, you realize that you're only going through the motions. And I know there's some people who can relate to this. And that person who is your husband or your wife now, you, are, you realize that you are sitting at the breakfast table and you are facing the person across the breakfast table. And even that, right now, you, you, you don't even have time to watch a movie together like you used to do. You don't have time to talk as, as you used to do. You don't talk. You realize that the person that you were so emotionally high about is somebody that now you no longer seem to know. But understand that nobody means for something like that to happen. No lady or no gentleman who goes into a relationship and ends up marrying the person does not mean for these things to happen. And it almost never happens at once that as soon as you marry, this is what happens. No. But that's what seems to have happened in Ephesus, as we were reading in, in the book of Revelation. Now, remember that in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus himself appeared in a vision to the beloved apostle John, who was the last of the disciples of the twelve who was left alive to continue to bear witness. But this was a vision that was very different from other visions that he was been having, which were familiar, comforting of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, but this vision that he had in Revelation chapter 1 was terrifying, very terrifying, very, 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 very terrifying. Amen, oh. Very terrifying. Because the Lord was clothed and bathed in flame and bearing stars and swords. Hallelujah. If you read Revelation chapter 1 and the verse 9, the Bible says that I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he was in the was was on the island of Patmos because he had been witnessing about Jesus. So that was his punishment. Praise God. Then the verse 10 says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Titeria, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12 says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his hair was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like what? Blazing fire. If you go in and on, you realize that he's talking about Jesus. He appeared, but this time in a different way. He was bathed in flame, in fire, and his hair was as white as snow, and he was bearing swords. Now, this figure was a very powerful figure. And this same figure, this same person Jesus appeared in this form, one day he's going to come in this form in judgment. So now, John was now about to remind the churches he was going to write to about this terrifying figure he saw. Now, this same figure was, who was terrifying, who is Jesus, is the same one who loved them enough to die for them. 
who has forgiven them of their sins and but 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 nonetheless those churches those seven churches that belong to jesus was now coming under scrutiny hallelujah praise god so we understand that you fell in love with the lord but along the line you realize that your love for the lord has sort of dwindled sort of gone down it's not as it is now there's an old saying which says that the good is ever the enemy of the best and there's nowhere that is true in this than in the kingdom of god in the lives of christians and in the church of the lord jesus christ because it is the devil's oldest king now the, the bible tells us or scripture tells us that we are not unawares of the devil's devices or his schemes wherever god is at work be certain that satan is not far behind the scripture tells us that the devil goes around who is our enemy goes around roaring like a lion seeking whom to devour he's roaring like a lion but he's not the lion of the tribe of judah that tells us that it is one of his schemes the devil employs many tactics because he wants to try to thwart the work of god so whenever he can he tries to introduce false doctrine into the church and where this does not work he introduces division or schisms knowing that a house divided against itself cannot stand so the devil will open a nasty chest full of things like gossip jealousy suspicion pride and he will cause god's people to take their eyes off jesus and his commandments and cause them instead to focus on earthly things which have no eternal value and so when god's people refuse to allow sin in their midst satan often brings persecution he often brings difficulty against the church all in an effort to discourage God's people, in an effort to dishearten God's people, all in an effort. First love, very important. So when these tactics, where he tries to divide the church or by introducing division and schisms does not work, he brings in a chest of, of things like gossip, jealousy, suspicion, pride, so that it takes people off Jesus. It takes people off his commandments and it makes people focus on earthly things which have no value when this one does not work this tactic does not work successfully there is another tool that he uses to stop the forward progress of a church or a congregation in fact it is perhaps the the most insidious tool because it is marked behind the facade of success when he cannot deceive us he divides us or he don'ts us if i should put it that way hallelujah so the favor that we once had for jesus or the fire or the love or the heart or the commitment that we once had for jesus is replaced with an acceptance of things as they are so satan wants us to become so satisfied with where we are with what we are doing and with what we have accomplished that instead of maintaining a red-hot passion for christ 
we would lose we would lose our zeal for Christ and his kingdom replacing the once consuming passion with complacency which is content with religion or the religious status quo so the devil wants us to get to a place where we will not still be on fire for God or the passion for the Lord will not be there as we became born again and we're all over the place. That that passion will not be there and we'll just satisfy for, you know, normal Christian religious kind of life where you go to church, all right, you read the Bible, all right, nothing intriguing, nothing serious. Your first love. Who is your first love? Jesus is your first love. Is he still your first love? Are you still relating to him like how you used to when you were so much into him? Ask yourself that question. Now let me say that of all the of all the endeavors of humanity, there's only one which carries an absolute promise of God's unending blessing. There's only one. What is that? The expansion of the kingdom of God. When we share our faith, when we make disciples for Christ, when we evangelize, he has promised to bless our efforts. He has promised to multiply it and to give us good success. But why then that 80% or more of our churches in our, in our country have either reached a plateau or declining and this text, Revelations 2, 1 to 7, paints a picture of a church. A picture which in many ways shows us why so many churches today are in decline. Now, it's not even only of a church, but also of individual Christians who somewhere along the way allowed the good to replace the best in their spiritual life. Remember, when I started, I said something. That there's a saying that the good is ever the enemy of the best. So you realize that most Christians now have allowed the good to replace the best. They have settled for the good. They don't want the best. They used to be at the best, but they settled for good. And so they've replaced the best in their spiritual lives with good in their spiritual lives. And they have paused at the good without any interest for the best. Hallelujah. Now, it is not that this has happened um, to your church or your local church. No. God is there in your church. God is working in our midst as Christians. But we must be vigilant. We must be on guard, corporately and individually. As a church, you must be on guard. As an individual, you must be on guard against losing your passion for God. You must... You must, you must be on guard against losing that passion that you once had for God. You must be on guard. Don't lose it. Your first love. Don't lose it. That connection, that chemistry. Don't lose it. Many have lost that passion and have settled for normality in their Christian life. We must be on guard. We must guard against becoming what the church in Ephesus had become. And the word in Revelations 2, 1 to 7, although it's a word for the church of Ephesus, it's a prophetic word. It's a preventative word. 
it's a prescriptive word. Why? Because it, it is speaking, although it's speaking to the church in Ephesus, it's speaking to you and I as well. Because we can lose the passion and have a religious relationship with the Lord. When you buy an electric stove and you turn it on, you realize that it gets to a point where the plate, one of the plates, will turn red hot. That red hot is a picture of how your passion for the Lord began. And when you turn it off, it begins to go down. The red hot color begins to change, 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 till finally it disappears. That's how some of us, our passion for the Lord has become. It has become as black as an idle electric stove. My beloved, turn it on once again. Get it to that place where it is. it was red hot. Let it burn more than even red hot. Praise the Lord. God does not want you and I to become like the church in Ephesus. God does not want it. 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 And I know that we are being blessed tonight. Remember your first love. Remember. Someone will say that because of this message, I'm going to remember the first love I was dating and go back to that person. Beloved, that is not what we are talking about. We are talking about your first love, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So we are moving on. A few things I want us to understand. Point one. In Revelations 2, 1 to 7, realize that Christ did something. In the message he gave to his servant, John, Christ did something. Christ commended the church in Ephesus. He commended them. That's the first point I want us to look at. He commended them. He commended them. He commended them. Now, the city of Ephesus was mighty and majestic. It was a great church. In fact, it was a center of tourism and trade in those days. And there were four major trade routes which were passing through Ephesus. So it made it like the cosmopolitan um, city in the Asian world. They were wealthy, yet they were a very pagan city. A pagan city. In fact, it was, it was home to the largest temple in the ancient world at that time, which was the pagan temple of Artemis. Artemis. And so when you read Acts 20, it gives you um, a background on this church where it tells us that um, Paul had preached among them for three years and all that, right? Yes. And so we also have the book of Ephesians to help us to understand the degree to which they had been taught the truth. They had been taught. They understood who they were in Christ. They understood how to work with Christ. They knew how to engage in spiritual warfare and so on and so forth. Their problem was not their failure to understand the doctrine or the good doctrine of Christ, but their problem was that um, um, it wasn't also that they lacked perseverance. No, 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 no. Why? Because the church in Ephesus existed during one of the most difficult times in all of Christian history. Because when you read history, it tells you that beginning in 54 AD, thereabout, there was the Emperor Nero. And the Emperor Nero was, was doing a widespread persecution of Christians. And the Ephesian church had refused to bow their knee to Caesar. And they had stood firm in the midst of persecution in AD 54, thereabout. So in the verse 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2, Christ was commending them. He was commending them. He was so much commending them. He said, this, I read it to you, he says, I know your deeds, 
That's verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. So they were being commended by the Lord himself. Christ was commending them. Beloved, oh yeah, the Papa, Christ will commend you. If you do something good, Christ will commend you. He will commend you. The Lord does not only commend us for uh, does not only rebuke us for the things we do that are wrong, but he also gives us a pat on the back when we do something right as well. So the church in Ephesus was not idle. It was not an idle church. On the contrary, they were busy working for the Lord. Their calendar was full. They had something they were doing. Every time they were doing something, working for the Lord. They were busy people for God. They were busy. And in fact, I'm sure that people in their neighborhood would have looked at them and said that, hey, these guys are some serious kind of good Christians. They are really busy people. And they were not only busy for the Lord, but they took a strong stand against heresy, against false doctrine. Why? Because they were well grounded in the word of God. They were well grounded. No wonder their pastor was an expository preacher. He was giving them clear application points to every sermon. And they withstood persecution and they did, they did not faint. They did not grow weary. In fact, let me add this. Outwardly, everything looked great. Outwardly, everything looked great. And so for these good things, Christ commended them. Beloved, what am I saying? Nothing goes unnoticed by God, as I said earlier. When you do something good, he gives you a pat on the back. He, he commends you. He knows all that we do. But then there's a powerful insight to be learned here. Mere works are not enough to please the Lord. In your work with God, mere works, the works, they were busy for the Lord. They were, they were able to stand, you know, they were able to not be weary, not to faint. They were working for the Lord. They were always busy. They always had a plan. You know, they were always doing something. A program here, a program there, a teaching here, a teaching there. It's good. The Lord commended them. And you can tell that the Lord commended them. But mere works is not enough to please the Lord. The fact that the Lord commended them does not mean it pleased the Lord. Now, Bible said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, the only thing that pleases God is faith. The only person who pleased the Father was Jesus. Without doing anything, Jesus pleased the Father. He came out of the water after baptism and the, Lord, and, and the Father said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Without doing anything, He pleased the Father. Therefore, by believing in Him, we also please Him, the Father. So you don't please God because you've not sinned the whole year. No. You don't please God because you're a virgin. No. No. You don't please God because uh, you can quote all the scriptures. No. You please God because of Christ who is in you. So mere works are not enough to please the Lord. He wants more than outward compliance. What Jesus wants is a heart that is changed. And that is why after commending them in verse 2 and 3, he goes to counsel them in verse 4 and 5. And so in verse 4 he says, but I have this against you that you have lost your, your, your first love. NIV says that 
Yet I hold this against you. You are forsaking the love you had at first. And that brings my second point. Christ counseled the church of Ephesus. The first one I said that Christ commended the church in Ephesus. The next point is Christ counseled the church in Ephesus. I hope you are being blessed by this message. Praise the Lord. 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 Mashadaba. Praise the Lord. Christ counseled the church of Ephesus. Now, what did he counsel them to do? He counseled them to return to their first love, to keep Jesus first in their hearts. Return to their first love. Return to their first love. To keep Jesus first in their hearts. Because they had started out strong, but over time, things had begun to change over time. So, a generation had come and gone since Paul had preached to them, alright? While they had remained faithful to the word of God, and they had endured hardship, persecution, and all that, the likes of which most of us could not understand, something was lacking. They had lost their passion. The fervor for Christ, the passionate love, you know, that had motivated them and burned within their hearts and had given way. Oh, they had just, they had just given way to a ritualistic form of service. That lacked enthusiasm, that lacked the zeal. Beloved, what happens when we lose our first love? What happens oh, when we lose our first love? What happens when, when, when the, the passion we once had for Christ is replaced by legalism and self-righteousness and a mechanical form of Christianity that contains the externals but lacks the internal? So there's an external, but there's a lack of an internal passion that once stirred hearts and moved us to love God. Beloved, there are people today who are interested in their ministry than in God. There are people whose relationship with God is dead, but they are thriving on ministry, so-so and so ministry, so-so and so ministry, but there's no relationship with God. I'm not talking about false prophets, I'm talking about believers, Christians. Whom God have called and given assignments, they have churches and all of that. Their focus has shifted from the Lord to the church. We've not been called to the church to do the church thing. No, we've been called to have a personal work with Him. Because out of the work with Him gives us the energy. So, beloved. It's not about and so and so ministry. It's good. Yes, it's the part of the body of Christ. But God is most interested in the relationship. So you realize that the outwardly they were doing things, they were doing a lot of things, but the personal relationship is what God was really concerned about. Therefore, He counseled them in verse four. He counseled them. So there was a mechanical form of Christianity. That contained all the externals, but it lacked the internal passion that 
once stirred their hearts that moved them to love God. Beloved, are you having a mechanical form of Christianity where everything's about the external and yet the internal, there's no passion? The, the thing that once stirred up your heart, when you hear Jesus, when you woke up in the morning, all you were thinking was Jesus. All you were thinking was to pray to him. All you were thinking was to open your Bible and read something. All you were thinking, what can I do for the Lord? You were so much happy when you were going to church meetings and prayer meetings and things. But today, you cannot go for prayer meetings. When you hear prayer meeting, you give an excuse. I can't come. Why? And you lie. And you say so, so, so many things because you just don't want to be there. But outwardly, every, it looks like everything is fine. But that passion, that was there. When you started the relationship with Jesus, where you were talking to him every day, where you were reading the word every day, where you were telling somebody about Christ every day, where you were actually living the life God had called you to live every day, some way, somehow, the, a, mechanical, a mechanical form entered. And today, all that we see is the external, but you know inwardly that the internal passion that once stirred your heart that once moved your heart to love god that passion has died down like the electric plate or the electric stove it had died down from red hot it has gone down down it's down but the lord is good why the lord reminds us the lord is a faithful lover you've left him but he loves you so much that he reminds you. Praise God. What a father we have. And so we focus on the form instead of the substance of our faith. And I want to make some points under that point. That we focus on the form instead of the substance of our faith. The point I want to make under that, the first one is that we, be, we become infatuated with knowledge instead of holiness. We become infatuated with knowledge instead of holiness. So much knowledge, so much knowledge, but less holiness. What do I mean? Now, personal holiness is no longer our quest as believers. Please, this message for all of us, including myself. So I'm not going to say your, your, I'm, I'm part. Personal holiness it's no longer our quest. We, we, we become convinced that knowledge is what makes us holy. Therefore, with knowledge, we can attain it for ourselves. So if I study scripture and I can quote scriptures, I, I feel I'm holy. And so we found knowledge to replace God's presence and lordship in our life. Something we cannot do for ourselves. How can you make yourself holy? What we know becomes more important than what we are. That's the believers today. What we know today has become more important than what we are. So who we are in Christ, what we are in Christ, how to keep that revelation of who we are going, we have dropped it and we are going for knowledge. And we think knowledge is what is best for us. We become infatuated with knowledge. And therefore now, there is no personal holiness. It's no longer a quest. Eternity is no longer a quest. Now, is how I can build my, my church building, how I can do this, how I can do that, how I can do this, how I can do that, how I can do this, how I can do that. Praise God. Listen, today you are here, tomorrow you are not. The men of old, in the ancient days, they looked to a city whom the builder was God. Every day, they looked for that city. 
they looked for it in their hearts. They were like, oh, I'm waiting for that city. I'm waiting for that city. I'm waiting for that city. Today, we have relaxed as Christians, thinking that, oh, they've said the Lord is coming soon. But it has been so many years. Even in Paul's time, they used to say, but where is this Jesus? He has not appeared again. Beloved, when God told Noah to build the ark, he told Noah when Noah was in the northern part of the country. Beloved, what made the people laugh at Noah is this. Imagine Noah was in Ghana and the Lord appeared to Noah in Paga, the northern part of Ghana, and told Noah, Noah, build the ark because I'm about to destroy the earth with water because the people don't love me, they don't obey me. They've, they've purged themselves with so many evil things. Number one, there is no sea at Paga. So how would the boat be transported? And so they laughed at him. Ideally, if God had called Noah around the sea line, like Accra, Jamestown, Choco area, and told him, build the ark there, people would have believed because it's closer to the sea. But it was way up in the north. According to history, it was way up in the north. Therefore, the Lord said, I will send rain. That's why he sent a rain. Some came out up from the ground and some poured down as well. Praise God. And it swallowed the whole earth. And then the ark was now on top. Was on top. Beloved, you might have heard that Jesus will return. He will appear. You might have heard it. Your focus might have shifted from him, your first love. But beloved, he cometh quickly. He cometh. And he's going to come soon. Understand he will come soon. He can come at any time. He can come even as this message is being said. He can come. So beloved, understand that the call to return to your first love is a call back to how you used to be with the Lord. And even more. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Next point. We become comfortable with the holy instead of being in awe with the holy. I'll explain it. We are comfortable with holiness, yes, but the sense of awe, honest, of holiness, we don't we don't have it. We are not comfortable. We are not comfortable about it. Let me explain. Now, in Isaiah 6, the Bible says that. Isaiah saw the law in the year King Uzziah died. He saw the law. Now, you see the awe that Isaiah had when he was in the presence of God. That kind of honest is gone from us. And we have become like the sons of Samuel who had lost their respect in the holiness of God or for the holiness of God, where they could go to the, to the throne of God, the, 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 uh, the Holy of Holies, and, and pick pick some of the sacrificed meat and things and, and, and go and grill it and eat. No respect for God. No respect for the holiness of God. We have become like that today. No respect. Beloved, let us go back. Run to your first love. Like how some of you, when your first love calls you right now, some of you can run back as though you never ended the relationship. The Lord have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Many of us, we have become, we have, we have, we have lost our, our evangelistic zeal. That's my next point. We have lost our evangelistic zeal. And we see the world as our enemy. Instead of our mission field. 
And so therefore, it has caused us Christians to become more concerned with the comfort of the saints than with the salvation of those who are lost. Beloved, do you know that when, when you die an unbeliever, you go to hell, but there's, that's not the end of the destination. There is the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire, see it like this. When you jump into water or a pool filled with water, then water will go into your mouth, some will go into your eyes, some will go into your ears, and so on and so forth. Beloved, in the lake of fire, what fire will enter your mouth, fire will go through your ears, fire will go through your eyes, all over your body for eternity. Yet, Christians today, because we have lost our first love, we see the world as the enemy rather than our mission field. And so therefore, we are more concerned about the saints, about fellow Christians, than those who are lost. May God help us. He must help us. Returning to our first love. And my next point is that we have become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have become insensitive. We have become insensitive. Beloved, when we are passionately in love with Jesus, we are sensitive to grieving the Spirit. When we become cold, we lose that sensitivity. So, the state of your heart shows the level of your sensitivity. Gossip, pride, jealousy, bitterness. Today in churches, you see fellow Christians jealous of their fellow Christian success. Why? Your fellow Christian has bought a car. You don't have a car. So you are thinking that you deserve the car, not anybody else. Jealousy in the church. Bitterness in the church. There is no sensitivity for the spirit. Gossip in the church. Pride in the church. Witchcraft is in the church today. Witchcraft is in the church. Coconsa is in the church. That's a true word for, 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 for gossip. It's concern. If you are in if you are in other countries listening, please you can slay it and say concern. Spiritual one man. Where? Because you are the only one who can prophesy, you are the only one who can see heaven, you are the only one who can see angels. You want only you. If you are not there, the thing cannot move on. Pride. We have allowed those things to dwell within us because. We are insensitive to know how much these things displease God. Because we have run away from our first love, our level of sensitivity has gone down. In fact, it's dying. In fact, it's dead. So we can't even know. We don't even know. We don't know it. We are better. Christian, better. Yet, he's leading prayer. But he's better. He's better in his heart. Very bitter, yet, kato kata, yebalaba, yebalaba. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing to yourself? Go back to your first love. He's waiting for you. The beauty about Jesus is that when you go back to him, like the prodigal son, he will treat you as do nothing happen. Oh, if any man being cracked, he's a new creature. Do you know what that, that means? It means that the old has never existed again. Never. It's as though it never existed. When you go back to God, everything will be wiped away clean. That's the beauty of, of this love that we have. 
of this lover called Jesus. This lover is better than a girlfriend, better than a boyfriend. Better. We are singing songs, yet we are full of pride because we can hit the notes. You can hit all the notes where the keyboard, the highest note in the keyboard, you can hit it. So you are singing and everybody are saying, oh, wow, you sang so good. I loved the, the, how you were singing and how high it was. And people are so clapping because your voice was good, but there's no spirit behind the voice. Yet you sang and people are clapping and applauding because the people who are clapping, they cannot even sense to know that there was no spirit behind the song that you were singing. The people who are clapping are clapping because what they heard was your voice at work, not spirit at work. Not spiritual, voice was at work. So the people who are in the church are clapping and saying, God bless you for today. Yet, there was no heavenly backing. There was no minister, uh, angelic assistance. You were just doing what you were doing. Nothing. Zero. Why? Because you don't even sense when an angel walks in. You don't sense when the Lord is speaking. You don't sense. Go back to your first love. Go back. We are called to go back. If we go back, all the things we used to do, we will do them and even more. It will shock the world. It will shock the world to the glory of God. My next point is that we have become content with what we are instead of being driven to become more and more like Christ. We have become content. We have become content. Why? Because it looks like now the passion for, for becoming more like Jesus is diminished. It's, 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 it's gone. It's gone down. Instead of comparing ourselves to Jesus, because he's the standard, we compare ourselves with one another. I can prophesy. He can, it looks like he can, he can do it more than me. So I want to also do it so that to look like I can do it better than him. Hey, she can sing more than me. So I want to, I want to sing to that to look like I have sung better. Then people, people commend me than we are comparing ourselves against one another. Always reasoning within ourselves. As long as we are better, we are okay. As long as you can prophesy better, you are okay. As long as you are the only one who can see deep and mention telephone numbers and things, you are the one better. As long as you can sing the notes and get people standing and clapping and saying, wow, you, you, are, you are better. As long as you can pray for 10 hours non-stop, you are better. The whole church, nobody has prayed 10 hours non-stop. Because you have done it, you, you, you know that as you are doing it, you are the one that the church will say you are better. You become content. And we have put Christ as the focal point away. And this kind of attitude leads to self-righteousness. Oh, my goodness. We have allowed other things to sit on the throne of our lives. We have allowed our jobs to sit on the throne of our lives. We've allowed our marriages, our relationships, our children, our, 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 whatever, to sit on the throne of our lives. And we have relegated Christ to the lesser place of importance. Beloved, I'm not saying your husband is not important. I'm not saying your wife is not important. I'm not saying your girlfriend is not important. I'm not saying your boyfriend is not important. I'm not saying your job is not important. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that where you must place your job, that is where you have put Christ. Where you must place your husband-wife, that's where you have put Christ. And where you must put Christ, that's where you have placed these things I've mentioned. But you know, we will still go to church 
and will still give lip service to Christ as Lord. We'll be singing, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, you are mighty. Oh, the lip service will be there. But in our hearts, other things are raining. Other things are raining. It may be success, beloved. Success may be sitting on the throne of your life. It may be power. It may be pride. It may be prestige. It may be pleasure. But something else, something else. We have allowed something else to sit on the throne of our lives. We've allowed something else. But I believe God is helping us. Your first love, my first love, our first love. My next point is that we begin to love something or someone more than we love Christ. Mm. Beloved, this is the bottom line. Most of us, we love something or we love someone more than we love Jesus. So, we have become dispassionate and very cool in our relationship with Christ. Hey, what kind of relationship do you think Stephen, in the Bible, the first matter for the faith that he had, what kind of relationship do you think he had with Jesus? Do you think it was a formal, ritualistic relationship where he was just going through the motions but he was lacking zeal and fervor? That's not it all. That's not the kind of relationship that causes someone to die for Jesus. What kind of relationship do you think Paul had with Jesus? Where he was being beaten and he was left for dead and he, and he was in prison and he knew that he was going to be executed? Beloved, compare that with the kind of relationship many Christians have with Jesus today. They find very little time for him or no time for him at all on a daily basis. So, instead of being concerned about the things that concern him, they are more concerned about themselves, about their personal desires. They are unwilling to give their time, their resources, their energy, and all they have to Jesus. They are unwilling to be inconvenienced for Jesus. They don't tithe because it might deny them of some of the material things that they want to get. People are not tightened today because they want to buy a, a watch. People are not tightened today because they want to do something else with, their, with that money. If they tight, they won't be able to get that money. People have lost and have gone away from their first land. We are not witnessing again. People are willing to give their time to sporting events, their time to, to go to a cramor, to watch a movie, their energy. I'm not saying don't do these things, but those things have now become the priority of people's lives. And these people are Christians. Whereas, Christ should be the most important. Now, people in people, Christians today, life for them is all about self-advancement. You got to upgrade yourself. You got to upgrade. It's good, yes. But at the end of the day, Upgrading yourself is only for here on the earth. But as you are grading yourself on the earth, beloved, let the most important one rule. What is that? Preparing for eternity. Fulfilling your assignments. Becoming Christ-like. Maturing to be like Christ. Beloved, that should be the priority for your life as you are doing self-advancement. Self-advancement must be the other thing. But the most important thing must be Preparing for eternity. They looked for a city whose builder was God. 
they looked. They looked. And after all these things, we wonder, why don't we have any spiritual power? Why? It looks like we don't have any power. We don't possess any spiritual power. And now, as Christians, we are wondering why we don't sense the presence of God around us for a long time. Because you can't even know when he's around. Because you have lost it. You have lost it. You have lost it. The next time you are singing, don't sing because you can sing high notes for people to clap at you. In your singing ministration, what is your focus? Are you, are you doing the singing for people to say it was good, it was great, and they'll clap? God have mercy. Are you are you prophesying because you want people to so to see that you you too you are you are there? When you're talking about prophets, you are there. Your first love. Your first love. Your first love. Beloved. <laughs> oh. Mm. Sometimes we give a part of ourselves and our substance as well in order to convince ourselves that we are good Christians just to satisfy our conscience. Beloved, Christ never asked for a part of our lives. He asked for all of our lives. He didn't ask for a place in our heart. He asked for our whole heart because he wants to reign in our heart. He didn't ask to be to be um, one of the many passions in our hearts. He wants to be the consuming passion in our lives. And so it is very, it's a very dangerous thing to go through the motions of Christianity without a passionate love for Christ. Very dangerous. Why? Because it sets the wrong examples for, for new Christians because it will cause them to backslide. When they get into the church, it will cause them because they will see that what we are doing is we are just going in motions and they'll do the same thing. And very soon, because they are new, they will quickly backslide. It causes us to, to, to become very content with less than what is, than God's best. So anything that is less than God's best, which is good, we are okay. Hey, first love. First love. What you see, what Jesus wants is for us to love him like he loves us. Why? Because you can tell and you know from scripture that he demonstrated that love for us on the cross. He suffered for us. He died for us. He bore our sins on the cross. Not because he was forced to. He wasn't forced to. But he 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 did it out of his love for us and out of his desire to bring us into a relationship with the Father. Beloved. Jesus has never lost his passion for us. His love for us always bends. His desire is that we'll always be in a relationship with him. That's why he said, very passionately on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hallelujah. Jesus loves us, and he wants us to return the love. We are the church. We are the bride. He loves us like a husband will love the wife of the youth. But you see, it is sad when that love that is given is unrequited, is not retained. 
Today, Jesus is saying something. He's saying that remember where you are falling. Return to your first deeds and the life to which you were called in Christ. But you see, after Christ gave the counsel in verse 4, he said something that if they refuse to heed his counsel or if they refuse to disregard what Christ has told them to the servant John, there are consequences. And that brings me to my next one, which is my final one before I conclude. Christ cautions the church in Ephesus. So the first one, Christ commends the church in Ephesus. Second one, Christ counsels the church in Ephesus. And the third point, Christ cautions the church in Ephesus. Where he says that if they don't repent, if they don't return to their first land, he will remove the fire of the Spirit from their midst. Where he realized that, um, he says that, I want to read it carefully here. Yes, verse 5. He says, consider how far you are falling, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Okay? You may, you may still have your buildings. You may still have your church programs. You may still have your busy schedule. You may still have all the externals. You may still be able to even attract new people with your pretty facilities and your clever sermons, but the power of God will be missing. Beloved, you can't fake God's power. One of the signs of someone who is working with God is the power of God he or she exhibits. You can do all these things I've mentioned, but the power of God will be missing. God will take his hand off the church and God will leave us to go through the motions and we will think that God is there. We will think that God is there, but God will not have been there. He would have left long time, like how Saul thought the Lord was with him, but he had left him. And that's a tragic picture. A group of people who call themselves Christians, who are going through the motions of Christianity without the living God in their midst, can there be anything more empty or sad than that? The truth of the matter is that a church is made up of individuals. The passion of the church will never be any greater than the collective passion of the members. So if the church is on fire, it is reflected in the church, in the, in the members. So if the members individually are burning hot for the Lord, it will reflect in the church as well. If we grow cold in our love for Jesus, that coldness is evident in our churches, in our meetings. And that is why the message, although it was addressed to the church as a whole, it comes down to the individual person in the verse 7, where he said that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is where the message speaks to each of us as individuals, although it was addressed to the church. The church is made up of individuals. So if you are on fire for Christ, that passion will be reflected in your church. I want to end tonight by asking a question. What is God saying to you tonight as you have heard this? I believe he's asking you and I to do the same thing he asked of the church at Ephesus. I know for sure 
That's what he's asking us in our hearts. He's asking to remember where we once were with him. He's counseling us to come back to the place of passion where we had once for Jesus. Beloved, go back to that moment when you first met Jesus. Remember how you felt. Remember the love you felt, the overwhelming love you felt, the staring in your heart, the passion that ignited in your heart, the adoration, the awesomeness, the honest you had for the Lord. Do you remember how grateful you were anytime you confess it because you know he has forgiven you? Do you remember how at the moment nothing else mattered? Only Jesus. Tonight, God wants you and I to go back and remember that moment in time. And having that memory in, in front of you, in your mind's eye, he wants you to return. He wants you to come back to him. He wants you to come back to him, your first love, to the place and time in your life where he was everything to you. Tonight, that's all he wants, for you to come back. That's all he wants. Christ commands. He has commanded you. Christ has what? Counseled you. And Christ is cautioning you. Let's not allow the Lord to leave our midst. The Lord must not leave our midst. He's calling us, including myself, including yourself. In the next just one minute, there's not a shouting prayer, wherever you are, talk to God. That Lord, I may not have been doing the things I used to do when I became born again at first, but bring me back to the place where I once was, where I was once so much filled with passion for you. Talk to the Lord in one minute. Talk to Him in the precious name of Jesus. Talk to Him right now. Shall we pray? Father, tonight, thank you for your word. That this word has come to rebuke us, but also out of love and to draw us back to yourself. Father, we pray that anything in us which is not of you, Father, take it away from us. As we have come to you tonight, Father, by the help of your spirit, draw us back to yourself. You said, draw nigh to me and I also draw nigh to you. Father, tonight we draw nigh to you. And we confess for all the times that we have been far from you, where we've been going through the motions of Christianity, but but having no power thereof. Father, tonight we have come to you as bare, as naked as we are. Touch us one more time. Walk with us again. Bring us back to that place of intimacy and of passion for you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, beloved, God bless you so much for tonight. Tonight's word, I know, is a word that would keep us thinking, you know. 
and will help us to draw back to him. I believe God has blessed us and this message has come in handy for us as well. It's a message that I know that once the Lord has brought to us, the Lord wants us to work on it. And I know that the Holy Spirit will help us. Let us not leave the Holy Spirit out of our lives, but let us involve him in everything that we do, for it is the Lord who does it. So like the church in Ephesus, the Lord has commended us, the Lord has counseled us, and the Lord has cautioned us, all in his love. Let us embrace all the three. Let us run with it. And I know that our lives will never, ever be the same. And so, beloved, we'll draw the curtains here tonight. Tonight has been Wordification Tuesday. Next week, Tuesday, God willing, another topic by the grace of God will come. Hallelujah. And on Friday, 10 p.m., we have Midnight Experience. Midnight Experience, 10 to 11, just one hour. Beloved, just come and pray and, and let's grow together and let the will of God be done in our lives. Amen. And so I leave you to God. And I pray that your night shall be beautiful. Your sleep shall be sweet. We block every diabolical dream, every attack in the name of Jesus. May the angels of God be with you. May they keep you. And may your evening be sweet. May your sleep be sweet. May the rest of your week be perfect. And may God be with you throughout the whole week and throughout the month of September. In Jesus' name. Also remember that if you are not a part of the 100 days of declaration, Beloved, we are missing out. God has started doing something. Don't, don't just go through the motion, but pray along the declarations and believe it and know that God will help you. Today like this, it was taken from Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. And the declaration was, I declare in the name of Jesus that I will give God my best that I have, nothing less, that my offering will be pleasant in his eyes, in Jesus' name. That the Lord will bless us so much that all that, every time we give God, it will be the best that we are giving God. That God will bless us to the place where all we give him is our best, our time, our resources, our energy, everything. Hallelujah. Tomorrow will be day 8. Don't miss out. We are going all the way to December the 9th, which is with the 100th day. And something is cooking for December 9th. Oh, I wish December 9th is here already. Hallelujah. Something is cooking. Something is cooking. God is great. And so we thank God for the, the time that he has given us to share the word. And I also ask that you also pray for us, that we continue to do what he has told us to do for the benefit of the body and for the world at large. As so we enjoy your evening, and understand that God is not done with you yet. He is about to shake the heavens for your sake. May your night be blessed. See you at the top. God bless you. And shalom. Good night.
days of my life Goodness and mercy Kindness and favor Signs and wonders Oh na 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 